Chapter Twenty Seven of No Quarter. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. No Quarter by Thomas Maine Reed. Chapter Twenty Seven. A City of Refuge. Of the foresters who figure in our tale, Rob Wild, Jerky Jack, and Winnie were not the only ones who had found their way into Bristol most of sir richard walwyn's troopers were foresters but the master of hollymead was himself there with his daughters their maid gwentian and others of the family servants why he had exchanged his family home for a residence in town that too in a city under military occupation threatened with siege and all its inconveniences has been already in part explained with the commencement of hostilities country life became unsafe more especially for people of quality and those who had anything to lose parties of armed men penetrated into the most remote districts demanding contributions and levying them at first in the name of the king naturally this aroused the spirit of retaliation and dictated reprisals so that in time both sides became more or less blamable for filibusterism the weight of evidence however shows that as a rule the parliamentarian officers did all in their power to restrain while those of the royalist army not only encouraged but gloried in it themselves taking a hand a prince had set them the lesson making robbery fashionable and they were neither backward nor slow in profiting by it as a sample of the spirit in which the cavaliers made war thus wrote sir john afterwards lord byron the same truculent ruffian already alluded to commanding a body of the king's horse i put them all to the sword which i find to be the best way to proceed with these kind of people for mercy to them is cruelty the gallant defenders of bartholme church were these kind of people whom this monster ungrammatical as inhuman had massacred to a man fighting under such faith no wonder that Lex Talionis soon displayed itself on both sides and in bitterest, most relentless form. Not only had the main routes of travel become unsafe, but sequestered country roads, while the sanctity of private houses was invaded and women subjected to insult, oft even to the disregarding of their honor. This was conspicuously the case in the districts where the cavaliers had control no decent woman daring to show herself abroad even high-born ladies feared encountering them if having father or brother on the parliamentary side some dames however who favoured their side were bold and free enough with them and a very incarnation of female shamelessness was the strumpet following of rupert as known ambrose powell had at first thought of fortifying hollymead and holding it with his servants retainers and such of the foresters as he could rally around him of whom he had reason to believe many would respond to his call the haw-haw around the house was suggestive of his doing so itself an outer line of defence which could be easily strengthened it but needed a parapet of gabions or fascines to render it unassailable save in the face of a scathing fire and he had the wherewith to deliver this having long expected the coming storm and stored up materials to meet it 
one of the chambers of hollymead house was a very armory and ordnance room full of the best weapons of the time which his great wealth enabled him to provide muskets of the snap hans fire pistols pikes and halberds they but wanted putting into hands capable of making efficient use of them and he himself had but waited for sir richard walwyn's advice as to whether he should attempt holding hollymead or abandon it he knew he must do one or the other his partisanship long since proclaimed and known beyond the borders of the forest with the echoes returning so admonished him could it be held think you he asked a soldier knight on the evening of his arrival with eustace trevor sir richard and his host alone closeted in conversation impossible was the answer backed up by convincing reasons were it a structure of stone i might say yes easily enough with a force numerous enough to garrison it but those wooden beams and roofs dry as tinder they'd be set ablaze by the first arrow sent at them the reader may fancy sir richard's allusion to arrows was a figure of speech or anachronism it was neither for this primitive weapon almost universal among savage men was not then obsolete or out of the hands of the civilized in the army of essex the lord general himself was a corps of bowmen and others elsewhere the belief in the bent eustick and feathered shaft that had gained for england such renown at cressy and agincourt was still strong in the days of her more glorious struggle the great rebellion but it was not to shafts of this kind that the knight had reference instead arrows projected from muskets and arquebuses for setting fire to assailed forts and houses a species of ordnance which then formed part of the equipment of every well-appointed corps d'armee with the master of hollymead the argument was conclusive he saw his house could not be held with any hope of successful defence if attacked by a force strong and determined and that such would come against it he had been as good as sure ever since that hour when reginald trevor placed in his hands the letter of loan by privy seal altogether sure when lunsford later came to make the levy itself only a day or two longer had he remained in it to pack up his plate with other cherished penates and have them transmitted to a place of safety to gloucester the nearest city promising asylum to the harried partisans of the parliament going thither himself with his family he had however made but short stay there the seaport of bristol beyond was a city of refuge more to his mind because of the house in it that offered him hospitality a sister's and under its roof he and his were sojourning on that night of dread danger averted almost as soon as apprehended nor in that crisis was the refugee from dean forest himself inactive when men stood gazing with eyes full of keen apprehension at the fire-glare over durdham down ambrose powell was moving briskly through bristol streets urging its citizens to arm and defend it along with him a clergyman who added his appeal with eloquent tongue and passionate speech he was toms of leominster who had been mobbed in that town of wool staplers and driven out of it by drunken roughs no doubt the progenitors of those who in the late parliamentary election in like manner dishonoured themselves 
to darwin's transmutation and improvement theory the human animals of leo minster seem to be an exception especially as regards the improvement for its jingo cur of today is rather a falling off from the quality of his prototype the cavalier wolf of the great wartime End of chapter 27 Recording by John Brandon